Welcome to Food Talk with Danny Nierenberg. Today, I get to explore the topic of food waste, and you'll hear from experts like Dana Gunders, who works with Refed, and Regina Anderson of the Food Recovery Network, and so many other amazing folks who are really working hard on this issue. We'll also close with some news, And remember, please remember (laughs) that a better food system really starts with us all. A big shout out, as always, to our executive producer, Rob Para. Rob, please cue the music. So today I want to talk about food waste. Uh, Loss and waste are issues that have always been an important part of Food Tank's work. I've had the opportunity to learn from and become friends with so many great folks working on this issue. Uh, People like uh, Tristram Stewart in the United Kingdom, who changed the landscape of how we think about this this issue. Folks like Tristram Stewart in the United Kingdom, who changed the landscape of how we think about this issue with his groundbreaking book, Wasted. Dana Gunders, who I mentioned before, who is now the executive director of Refed, but did awesome work as but did awesome work as a senior scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council. And you'll hear from uh, her also in this podcast, Emily Broadlieb uh, at Harvard, who works to investigate how policy can prevent waste. Chefs like Dan Barber, who advocate for eating things like kale ribs and broccoli stalks. Farmers, advocates, and scientists like Lisa. Kaida Noja, who works to prevent post-harvest losses in Sub-Saharan Africa. Regina Anderson from the Food Recovery Network, who is inspiring the next generation of food waste warriors. And scholars and environmental icons like Paul Hawken, who uses his Project Drawdown to emphasize how curbing food waste is one of the most effective ways we can mitigate climate change. And there are countless nonprofits and farmers working around the world to come up with low-cost, innovative, simple, and effective ways of either preventing post-harvest losses or preventing waste once it gets to our restaurants, grocery store, homes, hospitals, and universities. So let me give you some stats. Roughly one-third of all food never reaches people's stomachs. If, if food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions. And I don't think you have to be religious to recognize that that much waste is literally a sin, that so much of what we grow is literally not getting to people. In the United States, roughly one-third of food is thrown away as a result of overbuying and misinterpretation of expiration and sell-by dates. In sub-Saharan Africa and other parts of the global south, an equal amount of food is lost because of poor infrastructure like lack of roads or good storage or pests and disease. As a result, all of the hard work that farmers do to fertilize and irrigate crops, the love and labor they put into it goes to waste, putting them further into poverty in a lot of places. Food waste tends to be insidious. A little bit is lost in the field. A little bit is lost in storage. A little bit is lost in transport. And then finally, a little bit is lost at home. And while wasting food presents an obvious moral conundrum, It also presents environmental challenges. Food releases methane as as it decomposes in landfills. Methane is a greenhouse gas that is about 27 times more potent than carbon dioxide. And according to our good friends at Refed, every year American consumers, businesses, and farms spend $218 billion 
or 1.3% of GDP, growing, processing, transporting, and disposing of food that is never eaten. That's 52 million tons of food sent to landfills annually, plus another 10 million tons that is left discarded or unharvested on farms. Meanwhile, one in seven Americans is food insecure. And that is a figure that is likely only going to rise as COVID-19 continues. The good news is that preventing food waste can be both simple and inexpensive. Some of the most interesting innovations are taking places both uh, in, in the U.S. and as well as the Global South. In the Gambia and in India, I visited with farmers who are drying fruits like papayas and mangoes to help make sure that their families have access to vitamin A and extra income from the sale of that dried fruit throughout the year. There are new ways of cooling produce and transporting it uh, that are being developed in many countries. But at the same time, a lot of government investment is needed in things like roads and better infrastructure that will help farmers get their products to market much more quickly. Of course, on the retail and consumer side, the solutions to limiting food waste are also in a lot of ways very simple. Don't buy more than what you can eat. Store your produce properly. Take leftovers home if you're getting them from a restaurant. And then remember to use them. Don't leave them back, you know, in the back of your refrigerator. Don't throw away food that hasn't gone bad because you you see a sell-by or use-by date. Trust your senses, not those dates on, on bottles and jars to tell you whether food is safe to eat. But action on the consumer side doesn't absolve manufacturers and food retailers of their responsibilities. There are grocery chains uh, like Intermarché in France that are marketing ugly vegetables to their consumers, and other countries are following suit, including one of the biggest food retailers in Canada. Companies are coming up with ways to have edible packaging and and, uh, to prevent food waste and all sorts of exciting innovations. During COVID-19, the Food Recovery Network, like so many organizations, is continuing to find ways uh, to make sure that people get food. They're working with companies to get direct donations and then provide those to people in need. Regina Anderson in episode 112 uh, talks about that a lot. So please take a listen. I know it's hard to anticipate, but what kind of effect will this have on the communities that have been depending on these students to recover food and distribute it to those who are most in need? So there's there's two things that we're seeing. Um, you know, we 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 try to also communicate directly with the nonprofits that receive the food, and most of them they don't rely 100% on the food that they're getting from our chapters for their sure. those in need. Um, and it varies in percentage. So, um, but what our, our donated food does allow them to do is redirect their very hard-earned um, budget dollars. So if you're not buying food, you're able to take that money and you know, put it towards something else, like paying your electricity bill mm-hmm. or um, you know, helping to pay for salaries. Um, and so I think that burden will come back to those uh, nonprofits. Um, and so... It's, it is unfortunate, but again, you know, we know that our students um, to a certain degree are recovering um, and that there's other community interventions that are happening. So, you know, we've heard from a lot of food banks that are saying, um, you know, at this moment in time, what people really need is money so that they can bulk buy and make right. other kinds of decisions. So um, on, the, on the flip side 
Um, another program that Food Recovery Network runs is our Food Recovery Verified program, and that's how we help support businesses and corporations, events outside of higher education to also do the right thing with their surplus food. So you've helped Food Tank do that. You've been great yes, with yes, so exactly. many, yeah, so many of our events. We love doing that um, with with Food Tank and. So we've seen a lot of businesses that have reached out to us um, that we've already had relationships with that have seen um, an additional amount of surplus food. So um, we're really proud that we've been able to help support those um, organizations as they've closed up venues all across the country. And they're spreading the word, which is wonderful, to other That's organizations. Great. So, so while maybe our chapters aren't necessarily recovering, um, these other organizations, um, companies that have a lot of fresh raw products, um, they are stepping up and recovering and donating. And often when they get in touch with us, the first place that we think about are the established relationships that we have with our nonprofit partner agencies. And Dana Gunders from Refed uh, hopes that food waste will decrease as restaurants condense menus and people plan more meals at home. And and she really thinks there's a, a good future ahead in, in preventing and addressing food loss and food waste. You can hear from her here. I know the last time we spoke that, you know, and I'm concerned about it too, and we've we've talked about, you know, some of the problems with data that, you know, because of the hoarding that was going on and because of the dumping of, you know, things like milk or potatoes and, you know, some of the, the products that folks were seeing on the news, that food waste would actually increase in the United States this year because of the pandemic. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that now. It's a great question. And frankly, one we're still trying to wrap our own heads around. I will say my kind of gut response and what, you know, my educated guess on it all is that when the pandemic first happened, there was a lot of extra waste. Um, you know, this sort of overnight shutdown of half of the food industry, right, um, created bottlenecks in all sorts of ways for perishable products that could not get to a, a mouth fast enough. Um, sure. But now that we have come to some strange sort of kind of equilibrium, you know, I think um, we're not seeing that as much. Um, and so there are still some risks, you know, pandemic related things that are causing waste. For instance, there are still some, um, you know, here and there processing plants that are having to shut down on occasion because they have an outbreak and, and whatnot. So there are some components where we're seeing that. Overall, however, um, I think there are some really promising changes that have happened through this that actually in the long run could lead to less waste. Uh, so when we look at, for instance, restaurants that are reopening, um, we are seeing a move away from buffets and other all you can right. self-serve models that tend, they're kind of notorious for having a lot of waste associated with them. Um, and I think that is something that will uh, live on for quite some time. And may, maybe we will never see the, the enormous buffet model return. I don't know. Right. Um, you're, you're seeing restaurants open with smaller menus because mm -hmm. they, just, they have to, right? They don't know exactly what their demand looks like. Um, and so they're really paring down their menus to have a, carry a smaller inventory, which tends to lead to less waste as well. So those would be two examples in the restaurant industry that I could see lasting, you know, far outlasting the pandemic. Um, at home, 
we are learning to cook and you know i've been working on this issue for a long time i've been trying to change people's you know home food management behavior for a decade now to, <laughs> right. to very little avail if i'm honest about it and when i look at this pandemic um you know it has forced behavior change in a way that a consumer education came campaign could never have hoped to do, right? And you have people right. who are um, learning how to cook. At the beginning of the pandemic, recipe searches were as high as they are right before Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. Right. Um, you have people being forced to stretch their food further, either for financial reasons or simply because they don't want to go into a grocery store as often, um, having to plan ahead because maybe they're ordering online now, whereas they didn't before. Mm -hmm. and um, and they can't get it until the next day or something. So a little bit more planning. And um, and also just that move to online shopping and more direct to consumer. I mean, there's some, if you can do that at the right volume and with the right kind of advanced um, timing, you can really avoid quite a bit of waste in the system um, through that online direct to consumer model. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, and, and I, I don't know if you're seeing this, you know, this is the first time in, in like a decade that I've been able to have my own home garden, and my husband too, because we were always traveling. And when you grow something, you're like, I'm not wasting this no matter what, <laughs> no matter how ugly this tomato looks, I'm going to figure out a way to not waste this and use it in something. So I think people care about food maybe more than they did before. Do you think so? There's certainly been an increase in attention, right? All the people who are there, there is a huge increase in gardening. A lot of people learning how to bake sourdough. And right. you know, I, I think people who had some additional time on their hands through this pandemic did use it to kind of learn to cook or get closer to food in some way. So I think they're yeah. certainly. Your cookbook, your your handbook with the recipes has been very handy for me this year. So kudos for that. I, I still love that book very much. So um, September 29th has been declared by the United Nations General Assembly as the International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste. And, and food loss and waste will be an important part of the UN Food System Summit in 2021. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, what do you hope comes about from this growing attention, whether it's by the United Nations or companies that, you know, you and others work with? What do you hope comes about from this growing awareness? You know, not just thinking about the pandemic, but what do we want this sort of issue to look like post-pandemic? What are we hoping for the next 10 years around food loss and food waste? You know, I'm based in California and I'm, you know, getting on about a month of inhaling smoke over here from all the fires. And so I think uh, certainly here, the reality of climate change has just become so much more palpable and scary, frankly. Mm -hmm. And I know that I am looking around going, what can I do? You know, what do I do so that my poor kids don't have to, you know, they, they want to go biking outside and I have to limit them to 10 minutes because, you know, they, they can't breathe. And so that just that the reality of climate change, I think, is moving a lot of people to really look for what can I do? And when you look at the ability to reduce food waste, it has a huge impact on climate emissions. It's been rated the number one solution out of 76 by Project Drawdown in terms of right. ways to, to um, reduce climate emissions. And 
It just happens to be really doable, right? It doesn't take, you know, drastically changing your lifestyle to do it. And so my hope, you know, on International Food Loss and Waste Day and every day after is that the reason people can kind of see this issue for the reasons I see it as just a very solvable, actionable issue. And it's one that we don't have to solve it all at once. I think we, you know, for every hamburger you don't throw out, you know, that's 90 minutes of a shower that of worth of water that did not just get wasted. And so just, I, I, my hope is that people can really see how small changes in their lives can add up that businesses can see how this makes economic sense and that it feels as solvable to people as it does to me, because I just, I know that we can, if we put our minds to it, we can make a real dent on the issue. Doug O'Brien of the Global Food Banking Network in episode 174 talks about what changes are needed so banks can accept, food banks can accept more recovered food. This includes the need for affirmative public policies and incentives and the need for systems to help food banks accept greater volumes of food. They're not used to having, you know, for example, fresh produce donated to them. If they had better cooling equipment, that could really help a lot of people get access to fresh food. If those same food banks have freezers, they could give more uh, frozen food out to folks. So there are lots of changes that need to be made. You can take a listen to Doug right here. So Doug, I mean, I'm interested in learning from you. What sort of tools do food banks around the world need to to increase their acceptance of food donations? I know part of this is law, right? And and Emily and her team are, are working hard on sort of you know making sure everyone knows what the laws are. But what what in, what are the biggest sort of you know things that that food banks that you work with need to have in in order to s- accept food donations? And, and make sure that they're, you know, that, that they're safe and that, that folks are, are, you know, eating things that, you know, so that they don't end up in landfills or end up being thrown away. Yeah, sure. So, well, it, that really depends country to country. But, you know, as we began the podcast, you, you observed that supply chains in the United States have broken down and that was causing enormous amounts of waste. We've, we've all seen, I think, the media reports of of lines at food banks that may stretch in some cases for, for miles, literally. And at the same token, there are farms with, with product going unharvested or, mm-hmm. or, um, or the other stories of, of having to, to euthanize livestock as opposed to taking them to, to commercial need to feed hungry people. Um, that's played out throughout the globe as these supply chains have broken down. And um, the, the very first issue really, though, is the one that, that Emily and her team is dealing with, is that you need to have um, affirmative public policy in country that, that not only um, allows the donation of food, but then actually, um, and certainly doesn't disincentivize it, right? Um, and if you can have right. incentives, that then, that then helps when you have potential food wastage for farmers or packing houses or distributors to find ways to cooperate to help get that product out of landfill and instead to, to needy people. Um, and just give like a sense of scope. And this is before COVID, right? There are roughly 2.68 million metric tons of food were recovered by food banks. Right. That is a fraction of the wow. 1.3 billion that is, that is wasted annually. Right. And we know we have to close that gap. So first and foremost is the policy regimen. But then food banks have to have a logistical system in place. You know, I look to our partners in Mexico. They are one of... Um, uh, one of the countries that's in this first round 
Uh, there's 55 food banks um, around the around the country. Um, the the food BAMEX, which is their national organization, um, they've had to work with state governments and municipalities to allow product to flow in this pandemic environment because that that's been a challenge. Um, so they have to have a logistical plan in place. They have to have um, warehousing mm-hmm. to inventory and assess the product when it comes in to Emily's earlier point to make sure that it's in fact safe and wholesome, meets the policy requirements, and then equi- equitably distribute that out to their agencies, um, to their food banks and agencies. Uh, all of these things are part of the normal course of food banks. Uh, and just to give some sense, in the United States, there were 40 million Americans that relied on food banks in this country. Um, globally, in our system alone, 169 uh, among our other partners around the world, even larger numbers uh, generally. And the, um, that infrastructure works reasonably well. It has been stretched and challenged in COVID in ways that, that none of us could have anticipated. Right. Um, certainly when we began the project with, with, uh, with Emily and her team at FLPC, we had no idea a pandemic was around the corner. Right. Um, but I will tell you that the work that they have already done has been hugely helpful in our food bank's ability to respond. And we believe that we'll, that as we go into enter, hopefully soon, not soon enough, but soon, um, the recovery phase, many of the, of the broader policy implications can be enacted to help food banks then further uh, get more food um, through what we think is a very uncertain economic future where there'll be increased demand for our services. And the United Nations uh, Food and Agriculture Organization is also working to achieve uh, Sustainable Development Goal 12.3, which seeks to cut in half global food waste at both the retail and consumer levels, as well as to reduce food loss during production and supply. Last year, the United Nations General Assembly declared that September 29th of this year, is the first International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste. And food waste will be a big topic next year at the United Nations Food Systems Summit. I'll be moderating an event on Tuesday, the 29th, entitled Changing the Story of Food Loss and Waste. It will occur from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern time with experts from around the world, including chefs, farmers, grocery stores, and food banks. I'd like to end with some news. Um, Earlier this week, the New York Times had one of the most dire headlines I've ever read. It said, climate disruption is locked in. The next moves will be crucial. They spoke to a dozen experts on climate who said that America is under siege, not just from a pandemic, but also climate change. The article said that gone is the climate of yesteryear. Most people reading uh, this article might get depressed, and and rightly so, Uh, but it's also a call to action. We can all take action right now on climate change. We can prevent food waste in our own homes. We can encourage companies that we buy from to take action on climate. And maybe most importantly, we can stop putting our heads in the sand and realize that it is up to us, whether we're eaters, policymakers, businesses, or farmers, to have a responsibility to protect the planet for future generations. And I beg you, please make sure you're registered to vote. Request your mail-in ballot or have a plan to vote safely in person. You can find information at vote.gov and vote.org or for information how to vote by mail in the United States, you can go to the U.S. Vote Foundation or the Election Management Resources 
uh, website from the U.S. Election Assistance Committee. And all those uh, sources are, are really easy to Google online. Um, you can also go to foodtank.com for more information. But please, there's no more important year to vote, what, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or, or somewhere in between. We can really vote for uh, a, a better food system and, and a better environmental system. If you want to send me a direct question, uh, please uh, shoot me an audio file to danielle at foodtank.com and I will see you next time. Thanks so much. This is Rob Perra, Food Talk's executive producer. Let Danny and I know what you think of the new podcast format. Send us an email at danielle at foodtank.com. Please feel free to suggest future guests and anything you think we can improve. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next time.